So this morning, we're continuing in our, our series, our study in First Peter. And this morning is gonna, um, is gonna uh, we'll see how you feel. It's, it's, um, it's gonna be, it's gonna start, like Peter starts normal and fine and good. He's, he's like, it's like, it's like good, simple, like understandable. Yes, that makes sense. Okay, that's challenging. All right, I need to do that. And then, and then he just, he just jumps off the deep end. I mean, like, we go from kind of like, you know, getting your toes wet on the, like the, 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 the kind of on the steps of the pool. And then he's like, all right, now I'll throw you in the deep end. And it just takes a, a total turn. And, and, and here's what he's going to be talking about. And, and this is throughout, throughout Peter, Peter's letters, first Peter um, and, and second Peter, he's writing to a church that's, that's experiencing persecution, that's experiencing hardship and suffering and, uh, and persecute real actual like persecution the church and, and so he writes these and the themes in Peter are all about persecution and and particularly um, how to have hope in the midst of persecution in the midst of e- of even like Christians being killed he's he's preaching about hope and this morning he's gonna um he's gonna He's going to tell us and, and can kind of like instruct us on, on what to do when, when someone wrongs us. Now, let me ask you, what do you do when someone wrongs you? If you're giggling, it's probably not a good response <laughs> because you know, like, like we've all been wronged and we've all been like wronged in little ways, but also like, oh man, like I've experienced some 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 honest, I, I, I would consider some real persecution and, and, and maybe even suffering, but like I've been wronged by people. What do you do? How do you respond? And, and now here's the thing. I've noticed, I've noticed that, that how you respond probably lines up a lot with your personality. So if, if you're the kind of person who's like, hey, I just, I like to, to, to know what's going on. I like to maybe be in charge. Maybe you lead a company or you're, you're kind of like lead people and you're kind of like, I, I, I enjoy, like I, I, I wanna be the one, like, like if we're getting in the car, I'm gonna be the one driving. It, it's hard for me to sit passenger, right? If that's you, you probably respond one way to someone wronging you. And it's probably not like, you know what? Let's just let it go. It's probably not that, right? And then, but there's others of us who are like, hey, I have no problem sitting passenger or just taking a back seat or like, hey, I don't, like, I'm just more peaceable and peace loving. And, and, and like, if that's you, you probably respond a different way as well. We're like, okay, you know, like we can, we can, we can not let this kind of, you know, ruin our, our attitude or our day or our experience. Like I, I fit into one of these categories and I'm not, I, you know, I'm not like proud of this, but like for me, here's, here's an example. Here's how you know like which kind of person you're in uh, or like which kind of person you are, like which category. Um, <clears throat> when you're driving and, uh, and someone pulls out in front of you later on the parkway and they pull out, you know, in your, in your it's your lane. It's your lane. They made it for you. They pull out in your lane and maybe they're going slow, like slower than they everyone else or you know that you should ever humanly possibly go like they're going that and and you and and for me like okay this is a problem and and if i here's a, in my mind i maybe because i grew up in like california and then spent some time in la so it's like you know i'm like driving's a you know it's like a learned skill it's like 
it's like martial arts down there. You gotta like know how to move in and out. And, and, and uh, like for me, if I have to hit my brakes, it's your fault. You slowed me, you cut me off. How could you, how could you do this? And I'm like switching lanes and then switching lanes, trying to just be like, you know, I just want to, you know, be efficient in my gas mileage. Now that gas is $12 a gallon, I want to be efficient in how I, and my wife on the other hand, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just, I'm just driving. This person just cut me off. And she's like, you are a pastor. I'm like, ah, I know, I'm sorry. And and for her, she's like, it's fine. Just hit your brake. Like, let them in. In fact, there's a whole line of, let them all in. And I'm like, oh, this is not right, right? Like, you, you already know which kind of person you are, right? And here's the thing. Regardless, regardless of how you respond when someone wrongs you or when something's wrong, um, um, uh, you and I, we're good at wanting to get even. We're good at it. We're really, right? We're really, we're really good at it. Some of us are very good at it. We, it, there's a sense in which it's in all of us, this sense of injustice and making it right. And, and here's the thing. One of the main themes in Peter is hope, especially in difficult times. And here's what, here's what Peter's gonna tell us. When life gets difficult, when suffering comes, and he's gonna talk specifically about it. Here's what he says. Focus your eyes on Jesus. Not about your pride, not about like, I need to get even. Like, all right, he's gonna tell us when life gets difficult, our job is to focus on Jesus. We're gonna see some real practical advice here. He's gonna tell us when we face suffering and persecution and, um, and even insult. And then, and then he takes this dive into the deep end that's, that's probably one of the most uh, most confusing and hard to interpret passages in the entire New Testament. And he just, he seemingly just kind of throws it in there. He's talking normal, it's fine. Okay, yeah, I, it's challenging. Yeah, I need to hear this. I don't like it, but I need to hear it. And then he just goes, boom. Like, I mean, deep end theology going, what? Where did you, how did you come to that? We're gonna look at that this morning. And, and um I, I, um, I was watching one guy this last week who said uh, this is one of his favorite passages and he's a Bible scholar and theologian and, and he talked about how, um, how he was going to a, a new church. They moved to a new place and he's going to a new church trying to, you know, trying to find the church and, and they just showed up on this day and it was this, on this passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, particularly uh, uh, towards the end, 18 to 22. And he's like, this is my, one of my favorite passages to talk about, think about, get into. All right, I'm excited. And, and, and this was the passage, this is what he said. You know what, guys? We're going through Peter and we're in chapter three of the end and, and I'm gonna be honest. This is not me, this is the guy, right? Uh, I don't really understand it. I don't know what's going on. So we're just gonna skip it. All right, we're just gonna, we're just gonna go to First Peter. We're gonna go to chapter four this morning. And he just skips over it. He was both shocked, but also like, yeah, this is, this is one of those passages that's like, how, what? So we're gonna look at this today, but, but here's the point. When life gets difficult, we focus our eyes on Jesus. And he starts by saying this, focusing on Jesus means, we've already said it, we're gonna say it again. It means not getting even. Now that is so hard because regardless of how you are, your personality or the kind of person you are, 
Like we all, we all feel this sense of that's wrong and it needs to be made right. And, and it's not even a bad sense to feel that. The, the problem is when we say, and I'm the one to do it. <laughs> it's my job to make it right. We love, we love getting even. We love songs about getting even, right? You get dumped and then you slash the tires, right? And you take the baseball bat to the headlight and, it, and it's like, this is a good song. You get him. Yeah, you go, girl. Like, like we love that, like, songs about, like, yeah, that's right. We like stories about it. We, uh, we like movies about it. Like, I mean, almost every movie that comes out is, like, this happens and this happens and they get wrong, but then they make it right. And then it's like, um, we, um, my, my, uh, my kids are, uh, getting to the age now where they're, I mean, they're into like the Marvel stuff and superheroes and so like the movies and stuff and, and, uh, and the Batman movie is out. I don't know if you've seen it. And, uh, and so we're like, all right, well, we'll, we'll go watch the Batman. Cool. And, uh, and, and in this movie, I won't give you any spoilers. Um, uh, Bruce Wayne is Batman, by the way. <laughs> uh, no, but, but uh, in, in the movie, there's a, there's a part where they're like, who are you? Like, what are, who are you, right? This guy he shows up, Batman. And, and uh, like, what's your name? Who are you? And he didn't say I'm Batman. He says, I'm vengeance. And you're like, yeah, get him, right? You're rooting for this guy in a costume, punching other guys because, you know, they're the bad guys and he's the good guy. And he's like, I'm vengeance. That's who I am. Like, I am the get even guy, right? The whole movie is like, don't cross that guy. He's going to get even. We, we, we pay money to go see these movies and, and download these songs. And, and, it, and if we're honest, it's because... We've had someone wrong us and we know the, we can relate with that experience. It doesn't feel good. We don't like it. And we, we want to know that it's possible to get even. Maybe not in our world, maybe not in our life, but like, yeah, someone somewhere got even. But with Jesus, it's not so. The get even mentality, the get even mindset of like, let's just make it so that they don't ever do this again. That is not the way with Jesus. When we, if we focus on Jesus, the way of Jesus is something entirely different. Here's what, here's what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be of one mind together. Be in unity. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. That is not the plot to a good movie. <laughs> You like that you don't you don't hear that and say like man sign me up but you know what that is a recipe for a really good life someone who's humble and compassionate and 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 loving loving and, and sympathetic and empathetic and and of one mind like man that's that's a good way to live it might not sell tickets but that is a good way to live that's that's how we want our, our, to raise our kids to be. And then he says this. He goes on as if that's not like, okay, all right. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Peter, but it feels so good. Don't do that. He says, on the contrary, repay evil. Here it comes with blessing. Really? Peter, you wrote that? Like forever in scripture. Okay, repay evil with blessing. All right. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And then he quotes Psalm 34. 
Whoever would love, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Ooh, that's not easy. They must learn, they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He says, don't repay evil for evil or insult for insult. Instead, bless them. That is not easy. That is not simple. That is not what makes us listen to the songs. That's that, man, that's hard. He says, essentially, here's what you're supposed to do. Ready? You're supposed to rise above all of that. How you respond is supposed to be different than the rest of the world. Like, like the, the way of the world is eye for an eye, like repay evil for evil, insult for insult, and, 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 and make it right. And he says, for with you though, not so. With you, you be different. Ooh. Instead, you bless. Instead, you rise above that. Okay? We could do that. We could at least try but how are we supposed to do that? It's not easy. He goes on, and he says this, focusing on Jesus, then if we're gonna focus on Jesus, it means not getting even, but it also means being ready to share your faith. Oof, okay. Here's another kind of like, oh, all right, all right. How, here's what we're gonna see. How we act when we are wronged, it communicates what you believe about grace. When you're wronged, it communicates, how you respond communicates what you believe about the gospel. You really believe this or, or, or don't you? And, and people are watching you. Let's look at what he says. He says this. Who? Who's gonna harm you if you are eager to do good. Listen, if you respond by doing good, who is it that wants to harm you? Like what we see, what we see is usually escalation. And it's not, it's not because like, like, like what we think is someone wrongs me and I want to get even. And so I'm just going to like hit them harder. Like whatever they did, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure they don't want to do it again. And listen, it works really well. They never, ever, ever respond in kind. Never does anyone respond in kind, do they? I mean, if you have kids, you know that that is not true at all, right? Like, like you never have the argument with the kids and, and like they come in, you know, both crying or whatever. And you're like, what happened? They started it. No, I didn't. They did. They punched me. So I kicked them. So I swatted them. So I got my sword. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> and, and like, it always goes here and then here. And then the next thing, and then the next thing. And, and, as, and as adults, like, we, we're not as childish anymore, but we can certainly respond like, well, they did this, well, I'm going to do this. Well, they did that, well, I'm going to do this. Well, they did this, I'm going to do that. And, and he says, listen, when, if you stop that and you instead do good, he says, who's going to harm you if you were eager to do good? But then he says, but even if that is, even if you should suffer for doing right, even if it is, even if that does happen, that you're doing good and that it's still, they're still experiencing suffering he says you are he says it again blessed oh man 
It's not the kind of blessing I want. Like I want, like the blessing I want is like success. Yeah, right? If you're like a business owner, you're like, man, I want to be, God is blessing me. That means like you're, you're, you had a good year, right? This kind of blessing, and nobody want this blessing, that you're going to do good and suffer for it. And he says, you're blessed. That, man, that is a blessing. Oh, man. Okay, Peter, let's keep going. Do not fear their threats. Do not be afraid. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And then he says this, always, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready. Not like in certain times or like just on Sundays or, or you know, you just went to the class and now you know, but like always be ready to give an answer for anyone who asks for the reason that you have the hope, for the hope that you have. Do this, he says, with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be actually ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. One of, um, one of my missions in life that I've kind of like self-appointed, self-decided for myself was, um, is, uh, and I've shared this before, I, I think, is to, is to rehabilitate the word Christian for non-believers. And especially for like people that I know, like relationships with people that I have, that their, that their idea of, of Christian and what, what it means to be a Christian, it has baggage. This idea of, like, the, when we say Christian, it means something to us. But for other people, for, for non-Christians, it means something entirely different. It is not good. It comes with, with an, an entire, uh, like, emotional baggage and experiential, and, and, and it comes with, with all kinds of things attached to it and, and, and judgments about, like, what it means to be a Christian and to be hypocritical and judgmental and, and unaccepting and ungracious and, and, and divisive and, like, hateful. Like, all of that right or wrong is thrown on the word Christian. So when people find out you're a Christian, they immediately go to, like, oh, oh, you're one of those? I've, um, I've, I've, I've made it my goal to say like I want people's interaction with at least this Christian to say you know what I don't know like I don't know all the Christians but I know at least one and he seems to be genuine and, and like really does believe this and is like and is, really is trying like really wants to live it out um, I people here's the thing uh, people are watching you and he says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And Peter's going to give us a roadmap on, on how to do that. How to like, this is the roadmap on how to like share your faith, how to share about the hope you have. He says, listen, be ready. Because when you respond differently, when people wrong you and you respond in a different way, they're going to ask questions. And he says, be ready. Be ready for the reason. When they say why, be ready. Like if, if you and I went to lunch today and someone asked you, or I asked you, or someone else, a non-Christian, a waitress, or somebody, someone we go with, and they said, why are you a Christian? I know that you came from church. Why? Why do you do this? Would you have an answer? I mean, would you have an answer? If a coworker that you work with that you know is, is not a Christian, and maybe they're hostile, or maybe, maybe they're not, maybe they're just sort of indifferent to faith or religion and Jesus, and, 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 but, they, but they ask you, and they know that you know you to go to church, and, and they say, so you really believe in this whole, like, religion thing? This whole Jesus stuff? Like, why? Why do you, why do, you do that? 
Do you have an answer? Do you, have a, do, you, do you know what you would say? Are you ready for that moment? If you have a family member, we all have family members and like extended family members that, that not probably, not, I'm assuming, not all follow the Lord and have a relationship. Not all are Christians. And, and if they ever come, you know, a family gathering, maybe Easter you do a thing and, and they say like, so, all right, so you go to, you, you really do, you really do believe this stuff? Like, why? Do you have, do you know what you say? Do you have a response? Because what Peter's saying is be ready and, and like not in the moment, like I better make it up right now. But like, really, do you know why? And, and, and if it can't be, it can't be like, well, it's, you know, got nothing else going on a Sunday morning. So I just go. What? Well, you know, I'm, my spouse has me come. You know, it's good for the kids. We want the kids to come. And, and like, okay, hey, that, that's great. But like, is that really why? What's the reason for this hope that you have? Because people are watching. I remember, um, I remember my dad is not a Christian and is probably... It, more, it probably would be classified as agnostic, kind of like can't really know. Like, how, how, does anyone know? Is anyone really right? And, and, and I, remember, I remember having a conversation with him once um, uh, and, uh, about uh, a family friend of ours who was also a coworker who was a believer and a strong believer and a good family friend of ours. And I remember him coming home uh, from work one day and being like, man, I can't believe that this person, that they said this. And it wasn't about work. It wasn't about like, 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 uh, like work ethic or, or productivity or like, man, they're really good or they're really bad. No, it's none of that. It was about faith. Man, they, they, he says this, but then he goes and does that. He, he just says like, well, if I, if I sin, if I, if I make a mistake, God will forgive me. And, and my dad, he, he doesn't tell him he's watching, but he tells me, oh, you're watching him like a hawk. <laughs> and people are watching you to see how you respond to life to see, do listen, do you really believe this? Is this really true for you? Is this like, this is like, this like changes your life or it's like, nah, it's just, you know, something I do, it's something I add to my life. It's just, it's just, you know, something we do. Peter says, you be ready always to give an answer. Now, here's where things take a turn. So far, we've been traveling along and it's been like, all right, Peter, like, okay, this, it, 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 it can be convicting. It can be uh, countercultural to the way of the world. And all right, I should be doing that. Yeah, I, I definitely need to do that. And now, he, and now he takes like, we're in the kiddie pool and now he's like, all right, let's go dive into like the deep, deep end. I, I don't know if we can swim yet, but we're jumping in. And it's gonna, and it's gonna make a, a total shift seemingly for us. It kind of comes out of nowhere, but he is very deliberate at why and what he talks about. And here's what we're gonna see. Focusing on Jesus means submitting our lives to him. This passage has caused all kinds of controversy and debate. I imagine if, if, if we're, you and I were to just read this right now and just be like, all right, with no other insight, what does it mean? We would all go like, uh-huh. What? I, I think it means this. I think it means this. And, and that's happened over centuries of, of scholars and theologians trying to like, all right, this seems to be what he's talking about. It's, it gave Martin Luther problems when he's trying to figure out like, he's like, literally, I don't really understand what this is talking about. Like the reformer, John Calvin, he's like, I think it means this, but I'm uncomfortable with the conclusion, so I don't know. <laughs> it's Calvin. Would you like to read this passage? That was enthusiastic. <laughs> Here we go. Whether you like it or not, we're diving in. It says this. 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And he does that to bring you to God. So far, so good. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Okay, we got it. After, listen, here, here we go. After being made alive, after resurrection, supposedly, at least apparently, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. To those who were disobedient long ago when God patiently waited in the days of Noah, Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Peter, what? Peter, we were talking about, hey, don't repay evil for evil, but instead bless, insult for insult. No, don't do that. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Yeah, okay, I get it. I need to, I, I need to think about this more. I need to, I need to like, be ser- more, more serious about faith and like how my understanding of faith and how I respond and people are watching and, and it communicates things about the gospel. And now, okay, what else, Peter? Well, Jesus went and he preached to spirits in prison. What? And you can see why this would throw people off, at least like throughout time, like throughout the ages of, of people saying like, what are, Peter, what are you talking about? You jumped. Quite a big jump. And, and you didn't take us with you. You just went there. There are typically now, okay, throughout time, there's generally three different, three major perspectives or interpretations of this passage. I'll give you all three. I'll tell you which one. Uh, which one I hold to. I, I try not to usually. I, just, I like you doing some work, but I'm gonna do your homework for you on this one. Um, here's the three. The first, and this one has been probably the, 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 um, the traditional view throughout, like, mo- throughout the centuries. It's called the, the descent into hell view. Okay, now here we go. Ready? Buckle up. This view is that Jesus went to hell to preach the gospel to people who had not yet heard the gospel. And, and within this view, there's kind of a few different camps. Some would say, like, this is just for, since he brings up Noah's day, it's just people who were before the flood, who never got to hear, like, like anything about the Lord, Jesus went and God preached to them. And other people will say, no, 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 this is just everyone, everyone who's, like, pre-Jesus got to get, like, one, one opportunity to hear the gospel. And that what, what they would say is between the, uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus went to hell. And what further complicates this is that um, in, in the Apostles' Creed, we have language about this. And it like, makes it even more a little like, oh, wait, what? The Apostles' Creed says that? And it says that he it descended, and Jesus, he descended into, and depending on the, the kind of the translation or version, into Hades, or often it's called hell. So it's like, wait, hold on. This is kind of like a tenet of the faith. And okay, here we go. We're talking about this and this view now, if, if this is the case, if this is the case, then, then like at that moment, I can't think of a reason why anyone who, is, who, in, who in that moment is in hell, I can't imagine a reason why they wouldn't be like, I can get out of here, I'm out. I can't imagine why hell wouldn't be empty at that point where he's like, all right, guys, I'm gonna give you one shot to get out of here. I'm in, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm in, I'm in. Okay, let's do it. If this is the case, And Jesus, according to this view, he goes and preaches to the spirits are actually people who are imprisoned in hell. We're reading into this because it never, it doesn't say any of that in this passage, but but we kind of formulate based on other scriptures. We'll look at here in a second. That's the first view. The second view 
It's called the pre-existence of Christ view. That Jesus, he isn't like literally preaching to these people, but that, that through Noah, preached to the people of his day. That Noah serves as, in, in scripture, in theology, what's called as a type, a capital T type or typology. That, that he represents something else, and particularly Jesus. And there's a lot of types in the Old Testament, but they, they, they foreshadow and point to Jesus. And that, that he's, Noah, that Peter's saying Noah is a type pointing to Jesus and that, that Jesus, the way he preached was through Noah and this prison wasn't like an actual prison but it was, um, it was the, a metaphorical prison representing their sin and ignorance and that they were in prison spirits and they, that through Noah, Jesus went to preach to them. There's, that's, that's another view. There's a, there's a number of modern theologians that, that hold to that view as well. And then there's a third view and it's called the, the proclamation over spirit world view. And this view is, uh, is different than the first two. And, and what Peter is describing, in, again, according to this view, is a triumphal proclamation of Jesus amongst those spirits in the spirit world. That these aren't people. These are actually angelic beings, in particular, fallen angelic beings. And these are fallen angelic beings that are now in a, some sort of spiritual prison. That they're, they're enchained in, in some place, somewhere, that Jesus, and he's not preaching salvation, he's preaching, he's proclaiming victory to these spirits in prison. Now before that gets like all too like far-fetched, um, this is the view of most modern theologians. Most modern commentators land on this view. What? Yeah. This is the view that I'm convinced of. Now I hold this with an open hand, right? I'm not, like there's some things we talked about this, that there's some theology I'm like, this, you can't take this, like salvation through Jesus alone, I'm not letting go of that. This, if I'm wrong, okay, I, I can be wrong, but I'm convinced and, and it seems to make sense that Jesus actually proclaims victory to these fallen angels and in particularly certain, certain fallen angels that, ha, that were around in Noah's day that sinned. Okay, now we're, now you see, like this deep end. This is like, what? What are we talking about? Okay. You want to go deeper? We're not, are we, I don't know if we're ready for this. Here we go. Ready? Peter writes a second letter. It's called Second Peter. Super creative. In it, he says this. Second Peter chapter 2. For if God did not spare angels when they sin, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. And then he goes on. If God didn't do that, then listen. But what he says here is like, wait, hold on. God apparently sent particular angels when they send to, to hell. Jude has a, a similar passage that talks about the same thing. And we see this, we see this in Revelation that there are, there are angels, like particularly like evil, bad angels who are in chains, who are, who will then, like even in certain times be loose, like let loose. But right now they're, they're in chains. Like, okay, this isn't just Peter making stuff up. Like, there's a number of biblical authors who seem to be talking about this same kind of thing. But here's what, what is unique to Peter. Um, when he says that, that God sent them to hell, like, this, if you just read that, if you just read that in, in English, not understanding that this is written in Greek, you miss, you miss an entire aspect of this whole thing. That word hell is not the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about hell. It's not, in fact, it's not the same word any other author in the New Testament or the Old Testament uses for the word hell. This is the only time it shows up in the whole Bible. 
This is one of those words that as, um, as a seminary student, I hated. You gotta memorize all this stuff and all these words and all these like, you know, like, um, like, um, um, like how, yeah, all the parsings and how, how it functions. And like, okay, I learned that word. How many times is that used? Once. <sighs> all that work for one word? This is one of those. And this word is not Gehenna that Jesus uses. It's not the, the typical understanding of the word hell. This word is, if you know Greek mythology, it'll, you'll be like, oh, that's interesting. This word is Tartarus. It's only used here. It's the only time it's used. Peter uses it, and he uses it for a very specific reason because this isn't talking, I believe, and I understand, and most scholars and theologians who look at this, he's not talking about hell. This is a poor translation, kind of a, a lazy, we don't really know about this, so we'll just call it hell. But it's not that. This place, Tartarus, seems to be from here, from Jude, from Revelation. This seems to be a separate place that God imprisoned certain angels when they sinned. That he puts them in chains in this place, Tartarus, and, and it's like their sin was so great, he said, I can't let you continue like this. And in fact, if you read Genesis 6, you see some of this, and depending on your understanding of Genesis 6, it looks like it's describing potentially some of these angels and what they did, and their sin was so bad, it might have been even part of the reason why God does the flood. And these angels, he puts them in prison in this place, Tartarus. And Peter is saying, Jesus went to that place and he proclaimed victory even over them, reminding them, letting them know that they indeed did not win. Ooh, Peter, okay. You, you just went to some deep theological, like deep theological water here that, all right, here we go. And, and, and it, it, there's a lot of allusions to Jude. Um, Jude writes about this. And, and all of the, a lot of this comes from um, a, a, a non-biblical, it's called the Apocrypha, a book in the Apocrypha um, called First Enoch. And Jude actually quotes the Enoch. He quotes Enoch in this story. And so it makes, there's a lot of really strong evidence that, that Peter would have been influenced and known about this and said, hey, this is what happened. Enoch talks all about this. And he's saying, listen, Jesus he went and proclaimed to these imprisoned spirits. Now, that is, makes you feel a little weird, doesn't it? Like, all right. This, I mean, this almost sounds like, okay, this is some kind of movie, right? Like, oh, no, hold on. If, if you believe this, and this is what Peter's talking about, and there really is a place with, with these really terrible angels who God has imprisoned, and they're just waiting judgment right now. Whoa. And, and Peter, why are you bringing this up? This seems to come out of nowhere. Here's what he's saying. Jesus suffered the unrighteous for the righteous, and he did so for a purpose. And the purpose was complete victory. And, and, and no matter which, whichever view you land on, like whatever the three, like however you understand this passage, the end conclusion is clear. And that is this. this the, the overall theme of vindication that Jesus is the one who in the end wins. Regardless of what happens on the earth, regardless of what happens in your life and my life and the suffering we experience, as hard and as painful as that may be, in the end, we know this. Our hope isn't in our circumstances. It's in the fact that Jesus won. Amen. That Jesus died and for, like literally died for us so that he says, so that we could be with, he could bring us to God. So he says, when you're suffering, the goal is not to, to redeem your pride to make you feel better, to get even? No, instead, 
Focus your eyes on Jesus. Because Jesus conquered all of it, including these really terrible angelic beings that are now in prison. He even goes there and says, just so you know, I'm in charge. That's the Jesus we follow. And now Peter tells us how. And he makes a seemingly random connection, but again, in his mind, it all makes sense and it all lines up. Um, Here's what he says. He continues. So, right, so he said that that in it, in the ark, only eight people were saved through water. And then he continues, verse 21. And this water, the water of the flood, symbolizes something else. It symbolizes baptism. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but here's what it is. But the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. And how does it save you? Like when we talk about baptism, there's a lot of different views of baptism. Um, We don't believe that the the actual act of like getting baptized actually saves you. And Peter says the same thing that the the way baptism saves you isn't like through the removal of dirt or it's not like it makes you cleanse now because you went into actual water. But he says, it's, it's a pledge you make. It's an actual like statement of faith. And here's what it is. He says, it saves you not by the actual act, but by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what baptism represents that saves you. And it's through Jesus and his resurrection and our faith and our placing our hope and our life in him because of that. Like the resurrection changes everything. And baptism, he says, represents that. And even the flood symbolizes that. All of it points to the resurrection of Jesus. And he continues, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. And this is, again, why why I'm convinced, and many scholars are, that he's talking about angels in this passage because he brings it up again. He's at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. What might look like a random at first glance is carefully worded by Peter, and it's all about the resurrection. It changes everything. And he, and he says that baptism represents that. And so here's what we could say. Ready for this? Baptism, in a sense, is spiritual warfare. It, it, baptism is actually engaging and interacting in the spirit world and making a proclamation both to like the church and to the, and to the world, but also to the spirit world that I identify with Jesus, the victor. Ooh. Baptism is a big deal. If you haven't been baptized yet, I want to encourage you to, to do so because it, it is, it is an, an incredible like action, an, an incredible symbol of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how we proclaim that to people. Peter tells us, in times of suffering, this Jesus who's conquered it all, he can sustain you and does sustain you. So don't, don't look to get even. When life gets difficult, focus your eyes on Jesus. We don't repay evil for evil, we bless he says, and, and we're to be ready at any moment to give a reason for the hope that we have. And then he says, and submit your life to the authority of Jesus, whose authority covers everything. When life gets difficult, you, I, all of us, we focus our eyes on Jesus. Would you do this? Would you stand with me as we worship the Lord together?
So before we, before we sing and, and, and literally sing to the king, to, to King Jesus, who, who is the one who has conquered all of it for us and is our victor, I want to give you an opportunity because maybe you haven't placed your faith in Jesus. Maybe you haven't yet said, I'm in. I want to identify and I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to place my faith in him so that I too can be included in the family of God that, that one day we, he, will, he will bring to God. If that's you, I want to give you that opportunity here in just a minute. And we do so just by simply making a decision and by, by letting God, by deciding in our heart and, and letting God know. We do that through prayer. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to, if that's you and you want to do that, I'm going to ask that you would just pray along. And I'll even give you the kind of the, the prayer, like the words to say, so you can like know how I'm, all right, God, I want to communicate this, and I want to let you know. So would you do this? Would you bow with me as so we all pray? So God, I pray for all of us in here, that all of us, all of us, regardless of where we are in faith, that we would, we would understand how important it is to follow you and your model of not repaying evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead with blessing. That we would be people who respond differently as people, as other people are watching us. Help us to know what to say and give us, that we're ready to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that we have. Now, for those of us that are in here that are saying, I want to follow Jesus and I've never done this and I want to make a, a commitment. I want to, all right, I want to be in right now. I'm going to, I'm going to ask that you, just you right now, just, just pray right where you are with the Lord. And you can pray something like this. God, I admit that I am a sinner. That I am far from you. I make plenty, plenty of really bad decisions. And I believe in Jesus. I believe in the, his death on the cross to save me. I believe that you want me to be with you. And right now I commit my life to you. I invite you into my life and give you control to forgive me of my sin. Anytime someone turns to the Lord, and so we know that there are angels rejoicing, and so we thank you, Lord, but we worship you now in song to King Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name.